don't even begin to know how to say all that needs to be said, all that should be said. Our words are frail and they're feeble, and my mind is certainly not able to fully declare all that we have in front of us in this passage. So, Lord, please help. May your spirit empower your word that it would go forth, that it would find a lodging place in the hearts of your people, build them up in the most holy faith. But also, if there are those who are here today who are not believers, who never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that your word today would speak to their hearts, change and challenge them. And Lord, you're right. Please bless those broken hearts among us. May your spirit give them a peace that passes all understanding. And with your grace, be close to them in these hard and difficult days. Bless us now to hear and learn more, more about Jesus. And in his name we pray. John chapter number 1, John 1, last week we really focused hard on what we call John's purpose statement. And if you're unaware in any way what that purpose statement is, look on either side of it. There on the wall, John 20, 31, these things are written unto you that you may believe that Jesus is the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life through His name. That is John's purpose statement. That is why he wrote the book. He tells us exactly, this is why I wrote what I did, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you could have everlasting spiritual life. John's purpose in writing was to reveal, unveil who Jesus of Nazareth is, what he did, and how you and I can have everlasting life through him. Hence, it is only logical, really only reasonable, that John begins his account by declaring in the plainest terms possible who Jesus is. He wants, to, he wants us to know who Jesus is, what He did, so that we can believe on Him and have everlasting life. So He begins with or by telling us in unambiguous language who Jesus is. And you can really, you can you can group those first 18 verses of John together. In fact, you should. These first 18 verses is what is called the prologue, the prologue, beginning, the preamble to John's gospel account. And really, it is the prologue to the gospel itself of Jesus Christ. But it's not only that. In this first 18 verses, and you know, Time, we can't preach all 18. We're going to try to tackle the first five of them. But in this prologue, these first verses, John declares that Jesus is the eternal Word of God who became a human to reveal the person and character of God in order to reconcile men to God. I want to read this first 18 verses in your hearing. And as we read, would you take notice of this? John labels Jesus as the eternal Word, the uncreated Creator, the giver of life, the true light, the rejected Messiah, full of grace and truth, the coexistent Son of God, who gives everlasting life to all who believe in Him. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is John the Baptist. This is John the Apostle introducing John the Baptist. Verse 7, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He, that is John the Baptist, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, to the Jewish nation. And his own received him not. But, praise God, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word. Now that word, word, takes you right back to verse 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, bare witness of Him and cried saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me for He was or existed before me. And of His fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared it. In one sense, this opening prologue should be studied as one section, but there is simply no way that we can do that in the time allotted to us. Instead, together, we will focus our attention on these first five verses, and believe me, there is sufficient material in these few verses to fill books and books of scholarly work. So today, we narrow ourselves to John 1, 1 through 5. And there John begins his gospel by introducing Jesus as the Word. But not just that. John teaches about the relationship between the Word and God. And he does so by pointing our minds to the beginning of the cosmos. John would have us think about Jesus in relation to the opening creation account in Genesis. And listen, if you don't hear this, you're going to miss a lot. John is absolutely tying our minds back to Genesis chapter 1. Absolutely. If you don't get that, you're going to miss a lot of meat that John has for us. And throughout these verses, John uses, listen, plain but profound language to proclaim who Jesus is. And in this passage, I have outlined five inspired assertions declaring who Jesus is. John wanted those who read his gospel account to know beyond any doubt who Jesus is, what He did, and how that you can have eternal spiritual life through Him. And may this message today cause you to see with spiritual eyes who Jesus is and marvel at His person. Come, let us worship the Word through the Word today. First, I want you to notice with me the 
out of verse number 1. I want you to recognize the eternality of the Word. In verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now, John, I mentioned this last week, John doesn't begin his Gospel account like the other Gospels do. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic Gospels, and the easiest way to remember that is synoptic just means they're similar. They're, they're a lot alike. But John's Gospel, you'll see in that handout, it contains 90% different material than the other Gospels do. And again, it's not contradictory, it is complementary. It, it, it complements what the other Gospel writers have already given. But John doesn't begin in Bethlehem. John doesn't begin with the genealogy of Joseph, the genealogy of Mary. Instead, John points us back to the very beginning. That's what he does. In the beginning, what you need to understand, John is saying, when everything started, the Word was already there. When the heavens and earth were created, when the stars were hung into space, when the angels were made by God, the Word already was there. Was. Always was. In the beginning was the Word prior to creation. Before time began, this Word already existed. In fact, I think you could understand in the beginning was the existent Word. The Word already there. But we might ask, why does John call Jesus the Word? The Word. Why not just name it? Well, he does name him in verse number 14, the Word was made flesh. He's talking about Jesus. Verse 17, names him, verse 17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. So John does specifically name, but what he is saying is that the Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus, the promised Messiah, is the Word of God. But why this language? Why use that word, Word? Well, the Greek word for Word is logos. And I'm not a Greek expert, and I'm not even a novice uh, in the Greek language, but I can read after those who are well trained. And the word, word, just simply means something said. But what is John doing by calling Jesus the word? In truth, it is literary genius that John does this. And in fact, it is not just literary genius. It is spiritual genius that he does this. Because he is he's using a phrase, a language, a term that will attract the attention of every Jew that reads this and will grab the attention of every Gentile or Greek that reads this. So he is using a word of Jesus, calling Him, labeling Him the word, the very self-expression of God. The expression in Him, in Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The very, the very Word of God. He uses this language to attract the Jew and the Gentile. Let me just unpack that just a little bit. The Jew would have recognized John's use of word, the word, word, Tied him all the way back to the Old Testament. How is it that God revealed Himself to prophets, priests, and kings? He spoke to them. He revealed Himself through His Word to them. How many times in the Old Testament does it actually say, and the Lord said? 
And Yahweh spoke over and over and over again. And John, in a stroke of Holy Spirit-inspired genius, uses this word, word, logos, to tie together Jesus as the Messiah who is the incarnate Word of God. It is, it is gorgeous. It is beautiful that He did this. John is using the very language that every Jew would recognize, that would understand that when God spoke, He spoke through Jesus as the Word. And then to the Greeks or to the Gentiles, and this is something we're removed from because it's 2,000 years later. But there was, there was a, a belief among Greeks and Gentiles that dated back all the way to 500 or so B.C. Long-held belief that the Logos was some immaterial, impersonal force that governed the universe. That the Logos, the Word, that was what they would use. The Greeks would literally use this word Logos to make reference to some unknown entity that was creator or sustainer. But do you get what John is saying? John is saying the Logos is not some immaterial entity. Instead, the Logos is Jesus. He is the creator. He is God. Every Jew would have understand, understood uh, John's reference. Every Greek would have understood that, that, that the Logos was not just some energy, some, some immaterial mind or spirit ordering all matter. No, Jesus was the Word, the Logos of God. So, notice the eternality of of the Word in the beginning. When everything started, the Word already was. Then secondly, discern the deity of the Word. I want you to look at the close of verse 1. Verse 1 is captured in three phrases. In the beginning was the Word. We'll come back to that little middle phrase. But I want to emphasize that last phrase in verse 1, and the Word was God. Dear friends, I don't know how John could have written it any plainer. The Word that he will identify as Jesus of Nazareth. Read that prologue. The Word was God. We speak in today's language and say the Word still is God. This opening passage is some of, if not the clearest affirmation of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to lay hold on this. John has no doubt in his mind who Jesus is. Not only is he the, the revelation of God as the Word, I think a good way to understand what John is saying is this. This is the written Word of God. Amen? This is the written Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. The incarnate. And that's a, just a, it's a big word that means became flesh. We'll get that in verse 14. Jesus is the living, incarnate Word of God. But He is not just saying that Jesus is the Logos. John says Jesus is God. He is God. Friends, you need to get this in your mind that Jesus was not just another prophet. Amen. He was not just another in a long line of good moral teachers. Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. I don't know how much plainer John can be. 
And the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus is the Word. The Word was God. He was and is the Almighty. And Jesus is the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, just, good, loving, all of, all of the attributes of the Father, the Son shares in perfect, absolute, eternal immutability. That's who Jesus is. John, John's not making any bones about this. Jesus is God. He is God. And this is the beginning language. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but this is the beginning language of Trinitarian theology. That God is one in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. Get into that more in just a moment. But, but John is not going to fall for any suggestion that Jesus is anything other than God. <laughs> I want to pick back up there in just a moment. And I don't time these things out. They happen as they happen. I'm not making bones or digs at anybody. But listen to me. The deity of Jesus. That He is both God and man is not some tertiary doctrine on which we can agree to disagree. Either you believe that Jesus is God or you are not a Christian. It is just that plain. The truth is just that clear. Either Jesus is the coexistent, eternal, divine Son of God who came to this earth robed in human flesh, but never setting aside His divinity. Either that's who He is, or everything under the umbrella of Christianity is a farce. And either you accept and receive Him as the eternal God. John is going to talk about His creative power in just a minute. Either you receive Him as He is, or you will not receive Him at all. This is why it matters. This is why hashtag theology matters. This is why it matters. And this is why you hear me use this term on a regular basis. The overly broad umbrella of evangelicalism. Because there are numerous denominations that are put up under that umbrella called Christian evangelicalism that are anything but Christian. Our Mormon friends do not believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe that He was a created being. John's going to address that in just a moment, okay? We'll get there. But not only they, though they are branded Christian, are Jehovah's Witness friends. And I, I've had friends with them that I've worked with throughout the years, moral people, good people, godly people. But listen, they do not believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to drop a truth bomb right here in church this morning and it's going to probably just set off all kinds of explosions. You ready? There are all kinds of numerous... Let me just restate that. There are numerous Bible translations that can be trusted. I've read lots of them. Obviously, our King James can be trusted. Your new King James can be trusted. The ESV, the NAS, New American Standard, the LSB, CSB, there are a number of reliable English translations of the Bible. 
that I could happily put in somebody's hand and say, read this. It'll help. But there are some that are just rotten. They're just bad. Because they're not seeking to accurately translate either what the original author wrote or intended. But they're driving at something in their translation work. And I'm, I'm dragging you through this for this reason. Several years ago, someone gave me a new world translation of the Scriptures. This is your Jehovah's Witness Bible. And there's some great translations out there. And there's some bad translations out there. But you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Just because there's some that are not good doesn't mean that you can't use any of them. As a matter of fact, our, the very translators of the King James wouldn't agree with that. That doesn't mean that you should pick up and just read anything and consider it the same. If I hadn't made my point, you look at your Bible and I'll read this one. John 1 from the Jehovah's Witness Bible says, In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's what it says. The Word was a God. Not God. Now they're going to make a grammatical Greek argument for that, but it is an empty argument. An absolutely empty argument. All you've got to do is keep reading. That's all you have to do. And John's going to make clear Jesus is God. The divine creative God. So friends, He is not a God among gods, but He is very God of God. So, it is important that we discern the deity of the Lord Jesus, or of the Word. But then thirdly, distinguish the person of the Word. What I'm, what I'm after is that, in, in this is, I want you to distinguish the Son from the Father. That they are two divine, co-eternal, co-existent beings that are one. I wanted to see and come behold the wondrous mystery because some of this stuff that John writes is as simple as it can be, but you talk about profound, deep, Someone has said that the Gospel of John that it, it can be compared to like a pool in which a child can tiptoe around in and not drink. Because it's that easy. That relatable. But at the same time it's, it's like a pool that's deep enough that an elephant would drink. And what John is saying to us here is not only was the Word predates the cosmos, not only does the Word, not only is the Word God, but the Word is with God. Look at that center phrase in verse number 1. And the Word was with God. And then in verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Now I don't want to make too much out of a preposition, but much should be made about this one. That little word with tells us that the Word, though He is God, was with God which tells us that there is God the Father who is with God the Son who is the Word. Or that they, though our Trinitarian theology tells us that they are one, 
still they are individual. They are unique as father and son. You say, preacher, I don't understand. I don't understand it all. There's just some things, especially when it comes to the Trinity, you're never going to understand it. You just have to receive it by faith. This is who God declares Him to be. This language that, that John uses is absolutely the preamble to Trinitarian theology. You have the Father and you have the Word and they are with one another. And if you're interested, we won't even get out of John chapter 1 until He begins to teach about the Holy Spirit. What we call chapter 1, John didn't call it chapter 1. But what we call chapter 1, you don't even get out of chapter 1 till John has already taught us about the eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Spirit of God. John was absolutely Trinitarian in his theology. <coughs> Distinguish the person using that little word with. That word means toward. A.T. Robertson, who was a Baptist Greek scholar. And when I say he wrote the book on Greek, I mean he quite literally wrote the book on Greek. In fact, several of them. And he said that we should understand this word with to mean face to face. The word was face to face with God and yet was God. So Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. He did not begin in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He has always existed with God. He is the divine eternal Son separate from but eternally with. You want to know one of the problems with preaching is you want to tell everything you know. I want you to look at verse 18. If you would please. I want you to look at verse 18. We're going to do some translation work on that when we get there. But here's what I want you to imagine. I think this is a good illustration. I'm borrowing it from someone else, but I think it is a good illustration that we would see a king sitting on a throne and the prince, his son, sitting at his right hand. John says in verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. It's going to be except the begotten Son which is in the bosom. That means in the lap of the Father. He has declared it. So you have God the Father, Almighty, Eternal, and with Him, you have God the Son, the Word, Almighty, Eternal. They are with each other. And I'm wearing you out with this, I know, but friends, it's because it is so vitally important. It is so vitally important that you know who Jesus is. Our world doesn't know who He is. Many under the heading of Christianity don't know who Jesus is. And you've got to know. These things have I written unto you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through Him. That's why it matters. John is using Trinitarian language without using the word Trinity. I wanted to sing this, but last time we did, we butchered it up so bad. We're going to try again. We don't have to wait for Christmas either, by the way. But that wonderful song 
written by Wesley. Hark! The herald angels sing. Listen to this. Listen to this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hell, the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So John, who is Jesus? He's the Word. And the Word that was with God and the Word that is God. There's a reason why when you go back to Genesis, you read this phrase, let us make man. That matters. It matters. So I want you to distinguish the person of the Word. But fourthly, I want you to appreciate the creative power of the Word from verse 3. All things. How many things? All things. All things were made by Him. Came into existence by Him. And just in case you didn't get the positive, John comes back and says, let me hand you the negative. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, Either at this juncture we accept and acknowledge the creative power of the Word or we swallow the poisonous pill of evolution. But you can't do both. Either the Word spake and the worlds were framed or everything that is happened by cosmic coincidence. John declares that Jesus of Nazareth is the Word that spoke and created everything that there is. Everything. Down to the most minute, only visible by microscope, to the macro, to the far reaches of space, to planets and stars and galaxies far beyond our own, Jesus, the Word, was the creative instrument of God that spoke and everything came to be that is. And without Him, there was nothing made that was made. In your bulletin this week, you have this passage, Colossians 1 16, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's who Jesus is. John says, I want you to know who Jesus is. You know who Jesus is? He's the divine Creator. That's who He is. He is the active agent in creation. Appreciate. You ought to stop somewhere along the way and stop and just say, that Word that created everything became flesh and dwelt among us and lived and died for us? That ought to make us just bow in humble adoration of the love and power and might and glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Fifthly, acknowledge the invisible, invincible. I knew I was going to mess that word up. Acknowledge the invincible light and life in the Word. From verses 4 and 5. In Him was life. He was not created 
He's the creator. He was not given life. He is life. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. You remember me telling you that John likes life and light? He likes that language. He uses it a lot. You just keep reading and see. In Him was life. The life spoke and created life. God in the person of the Son created animal life, plant life, angelic life, and then He took some dust of the ground and He put it together and He formed a human body and then God breathed into His nostrils the breath of what? Life. In Him is life. This is what we can term the aseity. That's a big term for the self-existence of God, Father and Son. He is not dependent on anyone. He is self-existent. He is life. And He came to give everlasting life through faith in Him. When you see that language there that John uses of life and light, I want you to think back to Genesis. I want you to think back to that. I'm going to read this to you. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness. John uses this contrast all throughout his writing through the gospel. Life and death, light and darkness. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved or hovered over the face of the waters. Genesis 1 verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. In Him was life. And the life was the light of me. When the Word spoke at the dawn of creation, the darkness was eradicated by the light. Because the Word spoke. What John is saying is when Jesus came to this earth, He came as life and light to eradicate the darkness. And believe me, my friends, that is exactly what He will do. That's what He has done, and that's what He will do. Think about the powers of darkness that reveled in the day that Jesus was killed and crucified. And how they thought they'd won. But then three days later, the resurrection and the life came up out of the grave. And He came to eradicate darkness. Look at verse 5. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I, I'd love to be able to change that word so we can grab it a little better. To apprehend the darkness of this world could not apprehend the light of the world. That, that word that is in our King James here is comprehend is also translated as to take hold of. Get over in John, I think, 8, the woman who was taken in adultery. is that same language. It can be understood as, as to overcome. To fully comprehend or understand. In other words, the light came into the world and the world rejected the light, but the light will not be overrun by the darkness. 
He is the light of the world. They give the light to every man. He will, He will take every one of His children out of darkness and into light. That's Genesis language. The Word spoke. The Word became flesh. And what, what the Word did in ancient days at the dawn of time and and. Driving out the darkness, this is exactly what the light did when Jesus came to this earth. God shattered the darkness when He spoke and said, let there be light. And God shattered the darkness when His Son became flesh and drove out the darkness of this world. And if today you are here and a Christian, He has freed you from spiritual darkness and translated you into the light of the glory of His kingdom. The Word, I can't help, verse 14, the Word was made flesh. The darkness did not overcome the light. Instead, the light overcomes the darkness. Jesus is the unconquerable King. He is the unstoppable Savior. He is undefeatable Deity. He's the devout, the dauntless divine Son of God who has overcome darkness. Acknowledge the invisible light in life of the world. John is saying to everyone who reads this, this is who Jesus is. He's the Word who was with God and is God. He is the Word that created all things. He is the Word who is life and light who will eradicate darkness. And I'm closing. But I want you to think on this. By the time John pins this, and you've got to make up your mind, is this a reliable, Historical, accurate accounting of the life and times of Jesus, or is this a fairy tale? You might have to make up your own mind. I can't make it up for you. You think this is all silliness and foolishness, foolishness and a waste of time? That, that's on you. But you're not going to convince John of that. You're not going to convince me either, by the way. But by the time John writes these words, he has been a disciple of Jesus for some 50 years. He's not a novice. He's not a spiritual babe. He's had some time to reflect on who Jesus is. In that 50 plus years, he done a lot of meditating on what Jesus said and taught during his ministry. He, he's thought on this. He's meditated. He's worked this over in his mind. And then the Spirit of God moves his heart and mind and begin to write down an account of what Jesus did and who He is and you have it right in front of you. That Jesus is the Logos of God. The very Word of God who is God and was with God and who created everything. If this is not who Jesus is, then you're wasting your time this morning. If what John claims about Jesus is not true, you can't take him at his word. If the word is not God, then the Bible cannot be trusted and we may as well close the doors, go home, and not bother coming back. But since the word is God, and the word was with God. And since the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, you must either accept or reject who Jesus is. And in so doing, you either have spiritual life or you are still in darkness. The Christian faith doesn't dismiss Jesus as some created being of God or just a God or some pliable Gumby God that you can twist and turn as it suits you. No, the true Christian faith reveals Jesus as the Word. 
co-existent, co-eternal, divine Son of God who created all things and in whom there is life and light, who became flesh and dwelt among us so He might redeem us from our sins. I said this last week. Don't be surprised if you hear it again. John's Gospel is called the, the Gospel of Verdict. He's calling you to a decision. Do you take Him at His word? And Jesus is who He claimed to be or not? This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because they're not free. But I got good news. The light will not overshadow, I'm sorry, the darkness will not overshadow the light. Either you believe what John has written about Jesus or you are not a Christian. Either you believe what John has written about the Word or you are not headed to heaven. This prologue, these opening verses, listen, this is an absolute imperative. This is not. This is a non-negotiable of the Christian faith. Either you receive Jesus as John claims Him to be, or you will die in your sins. John says it, and I'll, quote, I'll close with this right here. It'll take us forever today to get there. But listen, John, John says this, He that believes on the Son has, present tense, has everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see light, but the wrath of God abides. So today, do you know who Jesus is? And what He has done? And that He did that for you. Do you know that? If not, and I can help you, you come find me. I got time to talk. If you have questions, reach out to me. I'll sit down. We'll, we'll talk about it. There is nothing in this life more important than your understanding of who Jesus is. And you know it. In the power of His resurrection. God bless you. I love you.